I am very happy to be with you guys again. Santo and I are good friends. Um, we had breakfast together just a couple weeks ago, and he asked me if I would just come back and preach. Last time I preached for you guys, you were over on that side of some water. I think it was on this side. So this is my first time here, and I got here, and everything was locked up, and I thought, am I going to get in or not? I mean, what's going on? But um, you are the few, the proud, and... Um, it's really encouraging to be together this morning. I, what I'd like to do, if you turn to Romans chapter 5, I want to talk to you today just from a few verses there. Very important passage. We, my wife and I, and we live in Millville, New Jersey, which is about an hour from here, kind of halfway between here and the Delaware Memorial Bridge. It's kind of a good, good way to think of it. And um, we're kind of entering into that empty nest time, okay? My oldest, I have three children. My uh, oldest son, Matthew, got married July 18th. That's the last time I saw Ray and Kathy Costello, who are also dear friends. Um, And um, so I saw them there. Um, I have a son, Timothy, who's at Eastern University. He's a history major, and he is engaged to a young lady, and he will be married next, the end of May, okay? And then my daughter, Emily, just graduated from high school as valedictorian at Cumberland Christian School just this June. So, you know, we're kind of preparing, you know, God, what does this last next season look like? For the last um, 11 years, I've worked for an organization called National Fatherhood Initiative, which is a nonprofit that encourages father involvement in communities. And I've worked specifically in corrections and reentry. I work from home and I travel quite a bit. Like next week, I'll be with a Kentucky probation and parole department to to talk about a fatherhood program that helps dads in prisons connect with their kids on the outside. So I really enjoy it, but I sense God leading us back into the pastor at full time. And so that's where my heart's been. And uh, again, it's my privilege, honestly, to bring you guys the word of God this morning. Um, So let's take a look at that first. When my son Matthew went... um, Um, was getting ready to go to college. I gave him a plaque that my father had given to me. My my father writes a lot of poetry, and this particular piece he had given to me at the age of um, 20, which was the same age as my son. And it said, My son, if you will do this thing, then happy will I be. Keep working on the inward man whom God alone can see. Let me say that one more time. My son, if you will do this thing, then happy will I be. Keep working on the inward man whom God alone can see. And one thing we need to remember a lot of times, and it's one of the reasons I particularly appreciated your request, is, you know, on Sunday morning, we can make things very much about the outside. You know what I mean? I'm singing, I'm clapping, you're singing, you're clapping, we're, we're saying these words, but we don't know what's going on in our hearts. We don't know the struggles, you know what I mean? We don't know the sins that we wrestle with. I don't know if you had a good day yesterday in your obedience to Christ or a bad day. You know, I don't know what condition. You don't know that about me. And so it's a reminder to us in this passage is about focusing on the inside and Probably one of the most important passages in the Scripture. I'm going to read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Therefore, verse 1, chapter 5 of Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And what I want to do this morning is real briefly look at verses 1 and 2 because that's really about our salvation. The most precious gift that we have, our justification or what makes us have peace with God. And it talks about a foundation of grace. I'm going to say a few things about that. But the main thing I want to talk to you about this morning is in verses 3 to 5. And that's the process of how God grows his people. How does God grow his people? He gives us like this four-part outline that's real easy for us to remember. Okay, So the most of the time we'll spend there, but just a few things first on verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith... We have peace with God. Through Him we have obtained access by what? Faith into this grace in which we stand. So, we actually sang about this in one of the songs we did a little bit earlier. We talk a lot about, you know, we have our sin, right? And we have... Christ and what he did on the cross and what he said, it is finished and his righteousness, right? So we have our sin and we get real excited because when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin, right? And he put it on him. So all of our sin is put on Christ and that's what he died for because he didn't die for his own sin, right? So when he said it is finished, all of our sin passed present and future is on Christ right what's what's left here so when God looks at us does he see our sin no but here's the part we forget when Jesus died our sin is put here but guess what here's the really cool thing when Jesus died his righteousness A hundred percent pure, holy Jesus, his life, his righteousness was, and there's a big word that's used, it's called imputed, but it was put on us, right? So Jesus got all of our sin, that's what he died for, and then he put all of his righteousness on us. So when God looks at us, whether you had a good day yesterday or a bad day yesterday, what does he see? Sees the righteousness of Christ, pure, spotless, not because of anything that we have done. And I want to say that just to start off because any of us who have placed our faith in Christ, and that's what it means to be a Christian, is you, you trust in the righteousness, the sacrifice of Christ for your sins, that you would have no hope of ever standing before God without that, right? And you get this gift of peace with God, to be a friend of God. I mean, we we don't comprehend what that's like. And I have a quote for you, okay? Just, this is by John Owen. John Owen was a Puritan. He wrote a lot about holiness. 
He definitely wasn't somebody who was soft on sin in any way. But he said this, and I want to remind you of this this morning. The greatest sorrow and burden we can lay on the Father, God the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Let me say it again. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. And that is so important, even practically, in the struggle of sin, because what is the proper motive for our obedience? And this is not a rhetorical question. You can answer this one. What's the proper motive for our obedience? What's that? Okay, that the Lord would be happy with us. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The proper motive for all of our obedience is supposed to be love. It's not always that. Sometimes we obey God because we don't want to feel guilty. That's particularly true with some persistent sin in our life. Or maybe we're afraid not to. Right? That's not love. And the thing is, is we can't, we love Him because He first loved us. It's very difficult to love God if you don't believe that he loves you. And one of the greatest sins is unbelief. In the book of Revelations, it says that the people who will spend eternity in hell are the fearful and what? The unbelieving. Okay? So the greatest unkindness that you can show to the Father, and I remind you, regardless of what kind of day you had, because what does this passage say is the foundation? What do we stand on according to verse 2? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which what? We stand. You want to lean against your righteousness and your performance, how you did yesterday? It's like leaning on this mic stand. What's going to happen if I lean on this mic stand? I'm going to fall, okay? But we stand on a foundation of grace. And we don't have time to go to Romans 8 and to see all the cool things that God has done for us with that grace because it kind of gives us like a panoramic view. You know, those who he predestined, or he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and one day he will glorify, right? Grace, grace, it's all grace. And we have this precious gift of this peace with God. So now practically, verse 1 and 2 that is, how does he grow his people? What does he do? In our lives. All right, somebody read verse 3 for us. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Okay, so where does it start? Suffering. (laughs) Suffering. Christianity 101. I don't know if any of you on Facebook, you've seen this little clip that's been going around where Victoria Olstein talks about, you know, the reason you go to church is to be happy. It's not really about God. It's about you. Have you anybody seen that? And then they have Bill Cosby at the end, you know, and they kind of, somebody is like, pieced that together. And he says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know what I mean? 
If you, if, you, if you look it up, it's a really funny clip. Unfortunately, it's the part that's not funny is what's really being taught is the reason that you guys should and I should come to church this morning is not really about God. It's about us, which is ridiculous. But along with that, a lot of people will preach that God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy. God doesn't want you to have problems in your life. God doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want... What does this say is Christianity 101 where God begins to grow his people? How does it start? Suffering. Suffering. Matter of fact, one translation says, hemmed in with all kinds of troubles. And I want to ask you this morning, and you can write this down, or you can just mentally make a note of this. What would be your top two or three this morning? If I asked you, what are your troubles? What troubles are hemming you in in your life right now or just on your mind immediately when I say trouble and suffering? Okay? Feel free if you want to write them down or just mentally take a note. Because I want to orient you in how God grows his people that it applies to those two or three things, okay, what I'm about to talk to you about. Another quote by Martin Luther. This is what he says in his classic commentary on Romans. God accepts no one as righteous whom he has not first tried, but he tries us by the fire of affliction. And as we read in Psalm 11:5, the Lord trieth the righteous. God tries us in this way in order that we may know whether we really love God for his own sake. We thus read in Psalm 139, and this is a prayer that you guys have all heard, but I don't know if you've made this connection, so I want to maybe give you a fresh learning here. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, right? Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Next time you pray that prayer or sing the song related to it, I want you to think about that the way that God tries us is this continual process of suffering that produces what? Somebody read the next part in here. Okay, patience or perseverance. Okay, and actually King King James, I think, has patience. It's actually like a passionate patience. So it's patience, but it's like a passionate one. So perseverance is a really good translation of that. Because really, it's it's like a stick-to-itiveness or a true grit, all right? So that suffering that God gives to us, that he tries us with, is meant to, provi- to cause and create in us, in our souls, this true grit, this patience, this perseverance. Now, I watched the movie David Copperfield a long time ago. Uh, and the st- story of David Copperfield, he went through all kinds of abusive things in his childhood. I mean, you watch it and you're like, oh my goodness, how's this guy ever going to come out okay? And towards the end of the movie, he's walking along the beach, just reflectively, all by himself. And he asks himself a question. Am I going to be the hero of my own life or the victim of it? Am I going to be the hero of my own life or the victim of it? And I've asked myself that question at different points when I've been hemmed in by all these different troubles. And again, because I'm on this foundation of grace, 
And it's not about how hold I'm hard, hold, how hard I'm holding on to God, but how hard He's holding on to me. I'm encouraged that there's something that's being produced in my soul, and I'm going to be the hero of my own life, not the victim of it. So suffering produces perseverance. And then what's the next thing in the list, friends? Character. Okay? Anybody else have a different translation than character? What's after patience, Greg? Experience. Okay? So some, we have experience. It's kind of like a proven experience. So suffering produces perseverance, which produces like a proven experience. Now, or character, right? Some of your translations have character. Character, proven experience. Now, do our circumstances that we go through, do they make us who we are or do they reveal what we are? Both? Okay. It's kind of that going back to that nature nurture, you know, thing, you know. Um, they can definitely have a strong influence and effect on us, but they often reveal what we are. Those two or three things I, I talked to you about writing down, the hemmed in with troubles, they reveal often what we are, or even the quality of the work, the eternal seed that God's doing in our lives, right? I have a good friend, um, his name is Dave Anderson, he lives in um, Indiana now, but when he was quite a bit younger, he um, kind of been in kind of the Jesus movement, white guy, his hair was down to about here, okay, beard, wore an army jacket kind of thing. So he had this real conservative uh, younger friend who had gone to a very conservative Bible school called Word of Life Bible Institute up in New York. And so he was going up there to visit this student up there. He was helping with her tuition and things. And so he gets up there, and there was another young person, you know, probably a freshman who really didn't know Dave from Adam and just looked at his appearance, thought he looked a little suspect. So he came up to him and thought he'd try out some of the training on evangelism that he had just learned that semester. (coughs) So he said, excuse me, sir. He says, "Um, are you a Christian? And Dave just kind of looked at him and grinned a little bit like Dave did, and he says, why don't you stick around for a while and find out? I've always loved his response to that, but when we're thinking about this character-proven experience, how does that apply? How does his, his response apply to that? When he was saying, stick around for a while and find out, what was he saying? A tree's known by its fruit. The proof's in the pudding, right? Stick around for a while and find out. Proven character. So suffering, this is how God grows His people. Suffering produces perseverance, produces proven character. And then what do we have next on the list? Hope, okay? I I looked at this for years, and hope's a great word, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, why hope? I mean, why not love? Or why not faith? I mean, they're they're all great things, right? Why hope? And um, 2010, I um, got a chance to go down to the nation's largest maximum security prison, which actually had the reputation of being the bloodiest prison in America in the 1970s, particularly called Angola Prison. 
If you might on TV have ever seen, there's a couple PBS specials called The Farm. And then The Farm, 10 years later, I'd highly recommend them. Anyway, I went down there, about 5,000 male inmates on 28,000 acres of land. It's a very unique prison. They do a lot of commercial farming there. They had gotten a, a warden, his name was Burl Kane, and he was kind of a heavyset, kind of a country bumpkin guy, Southern Baptist guy, gentleman, Southern gentleman. But he kind of had kind of a bumbling way about him, but it was kind of a bumbling way like Columbo. Anybody remember the story of Columbo? where he, he solved crimes, and he that kind of stupid just to make people drop their guard a little bit, and then he would kind of get them, right? Well, uh, this is kind of how he is, and he's been able to handle, you know, legal issues, even the NAACP with some skill there, where he's had this passion where he believes in moral rehabilitation. So if you believe in moral rehabilitation, where, where's the best place to, who, who are experts in our society on moral rehabilitation? The government or universities? No, it's the church, right? The church. So he said, I, I just went to get religion. I brought church, some churches in there. They started a Bible college in the prison, right? And one of the ways they got around the double NAACP is they just it made it voluntary. So if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist and you want to come, you're welcome to come, but this is what we're going to do, you know? So I got there and I was able to interview some of these guys, and I was amazed at the change in the heart for Christ. I've never seen the gospel look more beautiful than against the the hopeless backdrop of Angola. And one of the things I didn't tell you is that 70% of those who go there will never get out. You know, Louisiana has some really strict laws on truth and sentencing. So I asked myself this question of, how is hope so alive among some of these inmates here in this such a hopeless place where 70% of them will never get out? They will die there, you know? And you can see there's a graveyard, big graveyard there. They have an elaborate coach, you know, where they have a, um, somebody who rides. They have these big, you know, these big workhorses there. Think about it, this is a big place. They have big workhorses, and they drive that black carriage with a casket. I mean, they do a real big deal with the funerals and stuff like that. But I said, you know, how does hope stay alive? And I, as I observed it, I, th- I saw it in three things, okay? And I think this is true with us as well. I think I'm out of water here. Can somebody give me a glass of water real quick? Does somebody mind? I'd appreciate that. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I won't say anything too important while you're gone, Okay. <clears throat> This is what I saw. Now, some of them, again, they can't get out, and they're doing this fatherhood program that I had. So they, a lot of them, it became about, I want to change the legacy of my family. So I'm going to, through my letters, whatever influence God will give me, I'm going to try to change the legacy of, of my family because I don't want my children and my children's children ending up here, which you have at some prisons. You've got three generations of, of families that are at some prisons. You know, So... <clears throat> Society's not going to give them a chance. A lot of times when they come up for parole, that gets denied as well. But Christ is doing something inside of them that no one can deny. No one can take away that from them. It's like verse 5 talks about here. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. This is that time of year my sinuses kick in and get that scratchy throat. Look at verse 5 with me. 
And hope does not put us to shame or disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what these men had seen is not only was God changing them from the inside out and they didn't desire the same things that they did anymore. He was just doing some really cool stuff, but it was starting to overflow into the lives of some of their peers where they were polishing the image of God and some of those friends, you know, you're pretty close when you have a captive audience like that, right? And one of the cool things is Angola was actually sending missionaries, inmates from that place to other county or what they call parish facilities throughout the state because other people from around the country are saying, what's going on here? All this change, they were having Burl, Warden Burl Kane go around and speak to say, how are you getting this peaceful atmosphere and these change among what used to be the bloodiest prison? You know, And so they were allowing some of these inmates even to go into other facilities to kind of spread whatever they had. So God's, Jesus was inside of them. He was cleaning house and pouring out his love and changing them. And that was spilling out into other people. And I think that's, that's what God does with us. You know, we, we don't like this part here at all. But God, he does it in our lives over and over again. This process of suffering, producing perseverance, revealing a proven character, and giving us hope. And it's a hope that doesn't disappoint. You know, it doesn't disappoint. Um, I've been reading a lot about Robert E. Lee. With anybody know anything about Robert E. Lee or the Civil War or anything like that? It's not something I really knew much about until this year. Got to go to Gettysburg with my two boys. You know, you're, since the boys are getting married, I don't have all this time with them, so I wanted to do something cool. And we spent a week together doing some work and watch movies most of the Marvel comic movies, you know, we had all the ones that were out this summer we went and saw, and, or this, this um, spring, and then we went to Gettysburg for the weekend, and I've been reading some things about Robert E. Lee, who was the main military guy from the South, but he was a Christian, and it's a terrible war, I mean, 700,000 people died on both sides of that, needlessly, really, when you think about all the things that were going as America struggled for its soul. The amazing thing is, it was like 1865, 20 years from that, like 1885, the whole country had come together through the leadership of good men like you know, Abraham Lincoln, Robert E. Lee, Ulysses Grant, some others. They had come together on the field of, of Gettysburg and they all had their, their um, monuments there. It became this place of healing. All the southern states had their monuments there at Gettysburg. All the northern states that were involved had their monuments. So just in 20 years, the nation had come together to, to be at peace. And a lot of it had to, to do with the, the excellent example and character of these godly men. Well, Lee did some amazing things. You read some of those the, war, the um, military exploits and the battles that they were involved in. A lot of times, especially the southern soldiers they had a lot of grit to them and they they won battles where they were outnumbered three to one i mean there's a lot of amazing battles like that but in the end lee lost it was a hope he hoped four years 
Hard battle. 700,000 young, you know, young men died. It was a hope that disappointed because after four years, he had to surrender. Surrender to Ulysses Grant. But there still remains, and he modeled how to, you know, what do you do in failure? The only real failure in our lives is the one we learn nothing from, right? That's, that's really true. That's, that's my encouragement to you, and I think of, there's all kinds of things that come to my mind about myself, and it's like, God, you've got to help me on this one, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but the hope that doesn't disappoint friends is what? Hope in Christ. You have this gift of peace with God. You are a friend of God. You are a true friend of God. Regardless of the day that you had yesterday or the night that you had last night, God loves you, and it isn't because of your star performance. It's because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you, and all your sins have been laid on the shoulders of Christ, and he died for those sins. So God bless you. It is my joy to give you that message and reminder of that. And so let's say this together so we're going to remember it this week. How does God grow his people through, what's the first one? Suffering Suffering produces perseverance. Character, hope, and that hope does not disappoint. Amen. This Sunday sermon is preached by the Reverend Greg Austin, a teaching elder in the New Jersey Presbytery. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.